0: My name is John McLaughlin. Uh, I'm a composer and today I am here because I'm Leland Bardwell's son and I've been
1: involved in a lot of activity to do with her centenary. I'm Brian Layden. I'm a full-time writer. I live in Sligo and I'm here today mostly in my capacity as a publisher of Lepus Print and also as a great friend and neighbour of Leland's.
2: Welcome, welcome to the Curiosity Series, an Arts Council podcast commissioned as part of the Council's 70th Anniversary Celebrations. I'm your host, Maeve Higgins, a writer, comedian, podcaster and all-round curious person. In each episode, you'll hear artists involved in music, dance, poetry, literature, visual arts and theatre in conversation with me as they get curious about each other's work, explore the integral role that creativity has played in their lives and discuss the broader issues and themes that connect their art. Joining us today is composer John McLachlan and writer Brian Layden, who are here to speak to us about the writer Leland Bardwell. Now, as part of the centenary celebrations of her birth, John and Brian have worked together on the publication of My Name Suspended in the Air, Leland Bardwell at 100. That's a collection of 33 poems with accompanying personal reflections by Irish and international writers and creatives. I'm very much looking forward to discussing this publication with them, as well as delving into Leland's work as a writer in the context of her fascinating and somewhat unconventional life. Let's dive in. Can I ask you in in your own words, um, Brian, like, can you describe um, Leland Bardwell, her work?
1: Yes, Leland was uh, came to writing a little bit later in life mm. uh, but had been very involved in Irish writing seeing the Irish Writers Co-op in the 70s and had run literary salons would have been a friend of Patrick Cavanagh in London and was steeped in books and literature. But it was really with her, the Irish Writers' Co-op approached her, was she working on anything, she was publishing some poetry and then she had a novel, Girl on a Bicycle, which was loosely autobiographical about her life growing up in Leak Slip. And she would go on to publish 13 books in uh, right up to her death in June 2016 at the age of 93
2: um amazing summary. J- John, can I get your your own words as well about um Leland Bardwell?
0: Well, I mean, Leland Bardwell was a sort of um contemporary writer whose relevance doesn't seem to dim. I think that's the main point and why it's interesting to see fresh uh, reissues and new things coming out this year because uh, when she writes about say for example social issues or relationships it feels very much like it could have been written yesterday. Mm. Um, so th- that that for me is, is key. I seem to have started seriously thinking about uh, the Centenary, probably in about 2018, but I don't seem to have contacted anyone until about 2020, <laughs> seriously. So, uh, but I was looking at a lot of materials that I had rescued from her writing shed in Sligo, and I found a number of stories and a novella. Or a, well she probably would have called it a novel but it's pretty short and uh, and then we ha- I also found a good tranche of poems about 68 uh, or something like that that I'd never wow. seen before and that got me on to doing a number of things such as thinking about a collected edition. Well it certainly makes sense does it not to, to put out a collected edition in her centenary year and with Salmon Poetry we're, we're t- attempting to do that and uh, yeah so we've been digging up a lot of poems that were published in pamphlets and periodicals in the 60s so all of that work is done and that's yeah. ready. yeah, it's nearly ready to go.
2: Oh, that's really exciting. I, um, for somebody who doesn't, um, you know, who isn't familiar with her work, I suppose the themes running through Leland's writing, it's is fair to say she might present the world from the point of view of the outsider in her work. Can can either of you, maybe both of you, talk, speak to that?
1: Well, I, I'll step in there, Maeve, and say there was something said in Leland's obituary, actually, which I think was written by the poet Pat Boren, who would have been dadless press and publishing a lot of Leland's poetry mm. before um, this. Um, he said uh, a lot of it is about affections and allegiances, and those affections are there are love stories. There different kinds of love, is a short story collection, and. The allegiances—people uh, who knew Leland, both through her writing and as a person—knew how she had a gift for friendship. She was very loyal to the people that she embraced, and she took many one under their wing. Any, everyone from Luke, from Luke Kelly to Patrick Kavanagh, you know, and later uh, friends like myself, Brian and Mary. Branley, the writer and poet, who was her neighbour there. Mm-hmm. Molly McCluskey was another writer in Sligo that uh, Leland befriended at the time. So uh, this all fed into a kind of a, a an overall worldview which Leland had. She came, you see, she's a contradictory figure, an amazing figure, really. She is. Technically, she's big house Protestant Irish. Now, it was the Leaky Roof kind of big house in mm-hmm. Leakslip where she grew up. Also, she uh, she made it to Bohemian London, knew the likes of Anthony Cronin when he was mm-hmm. there and uh, then came back to Dublin, set up a literary salon where people like Paul Durkin would have wandered in. And then uh, she... She was moved, like a lot of inner-city Dublin people, out to the wilderness of these suburbs where the inner-city people were transferred without any kind of proper resources. She had a growing family of young children, as I say, as many children as she could hold on to. So here was this very well-spoken Protestant Irish woman who related very deeply to these young Mm. families and young mothers in this wilderness, Mm. and they related very much to her. And that was her kind of gift, and that was her territory, writing about marginality, the overlooked, people who, who just found that circumstances have contrived to isolate them, which was exactly what had happened in her own life. I would take up the 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 outsider point you make uh, and
0: uh, give a bit more information. So, for example, even when very young, uh, she and her sister ended up uh, minding their dying mother, mm. as her mother, as their mother was dying of breast cancer. And she mentions in her memoir *Restless Life* that when this uh, sort of tragedy befell the family, that her father gave up on all discipline. And I think that's very striking because Paloma went off to Africa and ended up having four or five husbands. And Leland herself had uh, numerous uh, men and liaisons it, in her it, life, Paloma
2: is, having is her, sister? her sister. Okay,
0: is her sister? Yeah, your aunt. So mm-hmm. you know that's one strand, indeed. Who who I've never met, uh, but mm-hmm. anyway, the um, yes, yeah, so that's one strand in the Outsider theme. And as Brian very rightly says, well, she lived in a very bohemian kind of some, um, a very bohemian kind of way, in the sense that she didn't worry about any rules, you know that were. Say, for example, current when she came back to Ireland in the very early 60s, or I think it was probably late 50s, mm-hmm. she, she was having children out of wedlock and this kind of thing. And uh, I'm sure she had some fears that the social worker types would turn up, but essentially she, she carried on regardless and uh, did her own thing. So yeah, so this made her very sympathetic I think to other people such as unmarried mothers and, and whatever you like. you know so like her her relatively wealthy original background fades into insignificance as Brian was pointing out by the time and then by the time in 1980 when we were all moved out to Tala that was quite an important point for sure in, in comes up as a theme in, in a number of stories and poems mm. yeah.
2: And even, you know, relating to to other other mothers um, and this kind of, you know, the experience of being a woman, being a female writer in Ireland. Brian, I read you described Leland as a feminist without a manifesto. Can, can you expand on that? Can you help us understand um, her feminism?
1: Yes, in the sense that Leland didn't like to be pigeonholed and was one of the reasons perhaps that sometimes she was overlooked for festivals and for inclusion in events and anthologies because she didn't sit easily into any kind of feminist category. Mm-hmm. Though Clearly, she was a strong advocate for women's rights. And if you think about her life, it's one of kind of an indefatigable industry writing Mm -hmm. while trying to rear a family, working as a single mother and as a writer who didn't, but she led some creative writing workshops that people who have contributed to My Name Suspended in the Air, the anthology of poems that we've brought out. But
2: that's not famously well-paid work. No, it is not. (laughs) So therefore,
1: and she was trying to sell scripts to RTE and do all of that. So, she, she really understood the experience but she yeah. didn't want to be seen as any kind of particular banner waiver but she has beautiful poems like The Bingo Bus, you know, which is about advocating for some kind of services from Tala to get a bus in there. Them's your mammy's pills kind of Catches the despair of the tranquilized state, and mm-hmm. and 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 the kind of hidden desperation of the lives she was championing, and you know there's stories about uh, street people, heroin addiction, alcoholism. She has a poem about Ruth Ellis, uh, which is very powerful, mm-hmm. and uh, so it manifests across the whole spectrum of things, but not in a tub thumping way.
2: Labels are one thing, action is another, right? She was very active in in publishing in her career, which is a very powerful thing to do, you know. Um uh, co-founder of Ciphers with um
1: Elena Quillenon.
2: Elena Quillanon, that's right. And
1: Pierce Hutchinson. Pierce Hutchinson, Hutchinson and, and Mac then MacDara Woods. Mac Woods.
2: Um how important was the publishing work to her, John? Maybe you could speak to, to us about that.
0: Well, um, I remember recently talking to Elaine and Elaine was saying that uh, there was a point where having done many readings in sort of pubs and the like, this scene which involves Elaine Mcdara uh, mm. Pearson, Leland and probably many others. Uh, which Bertrand, sounds
2: so far, really fun, they, by the way.
0: They suddenly... Re- <coughs> Indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> and they probably, they, they came to a point where somebody, and I can't remember, but Helene would remember, somebody yeah. said, why don't you start a poetry magazine rather than just reading, you know, this kind of thing. Um, yeah. So they did. And uh, it's turned out to be one of the longest running poetry magazines in the English language. Wow. Um, the Her involvement in the cop uh, publishing, I mean, it was a little bit more tangential in the sense that she wasn't involved so much in reading others' work, uh, or at least she didn't get in on the ground floor truly as a co-founder. But uh, she was one of the first, you know, her novel was one of the first ones to be published in that imprint and a second one was published in that imprint. Uh, and I personally remember uh, people like Neil Jordan coming to the house and discussing the pros and cons and the advertising and the this and the that.
2: You know, the John, the kind of commercial appeal, right? You're saying like Neil Jordan came, there was scr- talk about scripts. There was... Where did she sit with that? I'm I'm fascinated yeah. by that.
0: Well, initially, Neil Jordan would have been coming with a short story collection night in Tunisia, and then a couple of novels come out, uh, not all Mm -hmm. under co-op, because co-op didn't last terribly long, you know. They were beset by the problems of just distribution, of Mm -hmm. walking along to famous distributors and shops and those saying, well, we've only heard of publishers from England, what's all this, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of thing. It was a very early stage in in a very important thing that has improved a great deal since about the early 70s in terms of now we have many, many Irish publishers of every kind, poetry and, and prose and the like. I get the impression, uh, which is something I'm probably inventing or possibly inventing but James Liddy published Leland in his periodical arena and she wasn't getting published anywhere else and women weren't getting published anywhere else and I think this may be connected to the fact that James Liddy was gay and uh, found himself feeling very much like an outsider so of course he sympathized with women Uh, and anybody else who, who was having a tough time maybe you were from the wrong class you know I mean we do forget what kind of society we're talking
1: about in Ireland in the 60s it wasn't swinging
2: you're nodding your head here, Brian.
1: Uh, yes, I, I think that's uh, you know that that she, Leland had a gift for kind of her her instincts led her to people who might actually accommodate and had that kind of broader sensitivity and she did that throughout her life I think in terms of the friendships she made and the loyalties she forged Uh, when she came to Sligo of course uh, which was in about 1992 and remember that was the first time she ever owned a home Mm -hmm. she had rented places and that but now with the help of an arts council grant and as she said non-traditionally borrowing money from her grown up children to finally (laughs) buy a home, she got you know, uh, bought on trust there was no deeds for this place a big rusty key arrived in the post and she had to wait another 14 years before she could consolidate ownership with deeds new deeds written up so mm. uh, she, she she knew what it was to be right on the cusp of everything so but precarious. not quite there precariousness yeah. precisely made. the black rose withers in
0: the snow and all the daft and aged are cheating death
2: I, among you, salute you, and I envy you your facility.
3: I'll bequeath you my Dalber and my Borges if you grant me back a moiety of what I flogged long ago.
1: When the centenary was coming up, mm-hmm. we had just established Lipas Print, which was a small publisher following in the tradition of magazines out of Sligo like Flaming Arrows and Dermot Healy's Force 10. And we thought, well, there's an opening here for a small, curated, independent publisher. Mm-hmm. We'd had... Uh, two titles out at this point. Mary Branley's A Pinch of Snow and a Black Velvet Glove and a novel. And um, when it came to Leland's centenary and we had this book in mind, centenary is a very militaristic term. It is, yeah. So uh, it was the editor of the book Libby Hart Mm -hmm. who came up with this. Let's pick a phrase from a Leland poem. It's from Seven Rings. It's my name suspended in the air. So it was the editor Libby Hart who came up with that. Mm -hmm. And then that was complemented by the poet Mary Branley, who provides a beautiful foreword to the collection and sets up that theme that this is a book about poetry and friendship. And we reached out to all the poets we knew and decided that resources and everything it would only be women poets we would finally include. Mm. So again, we don't tub thump about that like Leland to say this is a feminist collection, which it's not, because there's poets, full stop. And there's... Uh, but those people, all of them, because of those connections, going back to James Liddy and earlier everyone we approached was more than happy, not only to choose a poem for the collection, but to write a a short memory piece uh, as a side to it. So you get a portrait of the person through her friends and through her work. And she'd have liked that because she said the work should always speak for itself, not just your connections and your friendships.
2: Oh, and you're holding the book there.
1: Yes, we're very proud of it. It's a, it turned out lovely. They're really nice additions and we'll have a, uh, the poetry. Uh, we've got that sort of down now and we have a lovely yeah. new collection, Burn, coming out to coincide with what Johnny is organising for November, mm-hmm. which will be a kind of uh, a formal uh, event we had our launches to coincide with the centenary with Leapis Print, but yep. this would be a formal event, a single rose about Leland. So we'll be launching a third book there.
0: <clears throat> the idea of the Single Rose Festival is it's a three-day mini-festival where we invite writers. Uh, so, of course, they will not just read Leland, they'll read their own work, but there'll mm-hmm. be people who knew Leland and responded. And also there's a segment of younger writers uh, under Anna marie Nichiren, who will, mm-hmm. uh, she's kind of curating this section, you know, who will who will respond uh, creatively with pieces. So we won't just hear Leland's words, of course, at this festival. And I'm hoping to manage something dramatic or some film uh, and certainly some music so it won't just be reading the page
2: is that um in Dublin or is that in Sligo
0: that's in Sligo in, Sligo. in the Model yeah in it, the Model Arts Centre
2: in the yeah. Model Arts Centre in Sligo if you're um like me and you don't even live in Ireland um, other listeners if we're curious to find out more about Leland read her writing where's a good starting point would you say
0: ah, well in In January, I started setting up uh, LelandBardwell.ie, the website, and that is most definitely a grand starting place because I'm trying to track anything that pops up for a centenary celebration. I haven't managed to mention yet a Dira Press, uh, based in Galway, who are Coming out with a prose volume, which contains mm-hmm. the the unpublished novel slash novella and eight short stories that were not in her short story collection from the eighties. So that's quite exciting because we're a big tranche of of uh, prose that nobody's really seen. Some of which, well, was in places like Force Ten or Ciphers, but really hard to uh, well impossible to get your hands on now.
2: And it's gathered and it's it's going to be available. That's really exactly. exciting, J- yeah. uh, John. In your own musical compositions, um, you mentioned there. Some of them featured the voice, the words of Leland. Um, Was this a way of celebrating her work in your own work? And I wonder why you chose, you know, you were particularly drawn to some poems, pieces of writing.
0: Well, uh, really, you see, you have to imagine me sifting through all these things. I didn't uh, manage to read everything I sifted through yet, like uh, uh, script treatments for TV, uh, uh, film scripts. There's a lot of material that's under, that was never under the bottom half of the iceberg that was never yeah. published, as it were. But so I was, uh, so I was sifting through all this stuff. And um, I partic- I was particularly drawn to the words from short stories and, and poems that nobody had actually heard seen before so I used yeah. some of those in a piece yeah in a piece for clarinet and tape and uh, of course I didn't have Leland reading them I used myself and I used Elaine I asked Elaine Cullinane to, to read so that that's oh, how I we managed see. that piece so it's
2: not her voice uh, oh there I are see.
0: no no there is an older piece Dog Ear uh, from 2013 where I do have her voice because I recorded her uh, reciting a, a few items in that one yeah
2: oh beautiful okay thanks for explaining okay great great that scrape the
3: topsoil like on the Posters of mud like hippos from the hills rolled on the plant and mild of The riffraff of the city, rut, where mulish earth removers rest. The line of shops sculpture. and solitary pub are camouflaged like checkpoints on the border. The supermarket stretches mm-hmm. empty. I wonder then who goes and does not go in the strange forgotten world of video and valium, to the quietly rusting motor cars and crowds, mm-hmm. past the barricades of wire, the harmony of John
1: I'll pick you up as well, Maeve, just Mm -hmm. on um, the, you know, where to start with her work as well. You know, when, um, obviously I'm going to say that you should start with her own deepest Print book, the uh, My Name Suspended in the Air, Leland Bardoulette 100, and that's edited by Libby Hart, the poet I spoke about whose book is coming out. That is an occasional collection in the sense that it is specific to her, centenary. Mm. There's a limited print run of that and you can get that on the LeapisPrint.com website. You can get it in the bookshops. I I tend to use books upstairs and small independent bookshops Mm. around the country as our sources. So if people are looking for work, I recommend that they'll Those are the kind of places they search. But in finding her work, it's slightly difficult because Mm -hmm. Pat Bourne uh, did help to uh, republish different kinds of love, her short stories. Mother to a Stranger still tends to be available, which I, one of my favourite of her novels, uh, because I wasn't overly familiar with her early work when I first knew Lena because it was so hard to get. Mother to a Stranger is largely set in Sligo Mm -hmm. and uh, it was a huge hit in Germany, of all places. And it was a late kind of flowering for Leland in her work and won her a whole new readership, really. Oh. So uh, that those are lovely starting points. And I think you won't be misled by her identity by going for the poetry in My Name Suspended in the Air, the short stories in Different Kinds yeah. of Love and and start with Mother to a Stranger because it's most likely the one you'll find on the bookshelves. That's the other thing that's kind of worth having in this,
0: in this programme is that there are um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven reissues in the period 2004 to 2015 of various things. So there's an energy there that we can still be part of almost, you know. Uh, you, you see, as you, Brian, rightly pointed out, she got going relatively late Uh, i mean she was um what was the calculation she was 48 when her first collection of poetry was published and you know she was 42 when i was born and so she had the brood of three distracting and demanding children and no support from any kind of a man worth mentioning Mm. so it's no wonder that she got cracking late but her output
1: from that point on, is simply astonishing. Yes, Johnny, there's this, I call it a heroic vocational expenditure of energy. Mm. Um, Such an ardent, retentive mind as well. And, Mm. you know, people who knew Leland, there's the bohemian, there's the parties, there's the children, there's the lovers, there's the booze, there's the salons. Mm. There's this kind of delight in travel, whether it's to... Russia or South America or Paris or wherever she can go and yet she always shows up for the work puts herself in yeah. the chair and does it and this is the extraordinary thing
3: The act of poetry is a rebel act for Michael Hartner. Possibly those inquisitive eyes grasp the horizon of his wonder gift, tell tales of light, lift the heart follies Like addressing the statue in Kilshima of a brandy-shadowed morning. No wars of mercy fought on his behalf. His waging lonesome as any poets. Playing the poker of see you raised you till its echo tumbled from the kitty of common sense. How well he knew the act of poetry is a rebel act.
2: Can you um, tell us, you've mentioned a few times about her friendship and how she was as a a friend and I suppose as a artist, peer. Yes. What was your own friendship like with her?
1: Well, I I enjoyed some really lovely times with Leland in North Sligo because it happened that uh, we moved to that area I had known Leland through working with her on the Scree Literary Festival Mm. Committee which she had set up along with the poet Jean Valentine then Molly McCluskey helped and then Mary Brandy helped and then I helped but then I moved to that area I could walk across the cliffs from my house to Leland's and frequently did and that was she loved Company. She loved people, and she loved to see me come and talk about books. And I learned a lot from Leland. She had been reading from the earliest age, as has been said earlier. There was the Ciphers magazine where herself and Mcdara said, "There's a spark there. You recognise it." and Leland would do that. I would bring her work. She would read it. And also, she would arrive outside her own house in a little golden-coloured Renault. Mm. And sometimes she'd be in such a hurry to read the new book she'd bought that she wouldn't bother to get out of the car. She'd read it in the warmth in the car and then go in. I wouldn't be able to keep up. She would be better informed about new and upcoming writers than I would be. Mm. I would show her the work. And I'd be halfway on the cliff walk home when it would dawn on me it was very encouraging but she said something critical and I have, have any sense I will cut that line or passage or think mm. about that <laughs> so she never took ownership or f- you never felt that you were being talked at mm. you were being talked to by Leland and that was the relationship I had and in later life as has been said, when when all the hurts, when when you think you couldn't hurt her, the one place she could be hurt was in her mind, and she suffered a stroke that mm. deprived her of the capacity to read and write, and she had to literally reteach herself, relearn how to read and to write God. again, and that was very difficult for this person who's such a brilliantly stocked mind and whose passion was books and, and, and support in them, you know.
0: Yeah, I have an interesting anecdote to that effect. Um, so uh, there was a reissue, I think was it Blackstaff, Brian, or was it somebody else, of Girl on a Bicycle in 2009 yes. and they posted out the manuscript and Leland couldn't read it, but I happened to be there and we went through the entire manuscript word for word with her commenting Stet, which is a publishing term for yeah, leave we're not it changing that. Yeah. Leave as is. And of course, there was an awful lot of steps. But <laughs> occasionally I'd say, well, I am I think actually you have misspelt the word, the word Durndle," you know. So, oh, and she'd say, oh, OK, well, yeah, uh, fix that one then. But uh, I mean, it was a massive experience for me that we went through the entire novel. First of all, I, I got a chance to reread it in a very close way and all mm. that sort of thing. But I was doing it with my mother and being her amanuensis, you know, guiding her through uh, this, this. And of course, there was a whole lot of notes from the publisher saying, well, is mm. this right what you you know what's going on there and uh, yeah so it was it that was just a very touching and and great memory for me you know
2: That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned to the Arts Council website and social media channels. That's where we'll announce our next guests. Now, if you enjoyed the episode, please like it, please rate it, subscribe to the series and share with others. Doing that really helps us to spread the word about these wonderful conversations. Huge thanks to the artists who joined us this week and to our audio engineer Dean Jones at Scimitar Sound. This series is produced by Milestone Inventive and Big O on behalf of the Arts Council of Ireland. See you again in a couple of weeks.